Let me invite you to turn to Deuteronomy, the fifth book of the Bible, Deuteronomy 18. This is the last sermon in the series of Christ in the Pentateuch. If you don't have a Bible, there is a blue ESV right in front of you. This is Deuteronomy 18. We'll be looking at verses 15 through 22, but let us pray to our God again. Our Lord, truth shines in your most holy word, divine. Help us, we pray, by the ministry of your Spirit, to see this truth for what it is, and to see the truth. Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior, through this text. Amen. Deuteronomy 18, 15 through 22. Hear now the word of God. The Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among you, from your brothers. It is to him you shall listen. Just as you desired of the Lord your God at Horeb on the day of the assembly, when you said, Let me not hear again the voice of the Lord my God, or see this great fire any more, lest I die. And the Lord said to me, They are right in what they have spoken. I will raise up for them a prophet like you from among their brothers, and I will put my words in his mouth, and he shall speak to them all that I command him. And whoever will not listen to my words that he shall speak in my name, I myself will require it of him. But the prophet who presumes to speak a word in my name that I have not commanded him to speak, or who speaks in the name of other gods, that same prophet shall die. And if you say in your heart, how may we know the word the Lord has not spoken? When a prophet speaks in the name of the Lord, if the word does not come to pass or come true, that is a word the Lord has not spoken. The prophet has spoken it presumptuously. You need not be afraid of him. Thus far, the reading of God's holy word. And may God add his blessing to the reading of his word. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. Given that it is Christmas morning, I'm going to go out on a limb here and say that most of you got at least one gift this year. Whether you've opened it or not, or them, remains another matter. But if you've received many of them, some of them you likely expected, and others you did not. It's not a surprise to the mock children anymore, except for maybe the twins, that they are bound to receive jammies every Christmas Eve. Kids have hounded their parents with the same single gift suggestion all year long, and they are not then overly surprised to open it, assuming the request is reasonable, and open this, the the just-what-I-wanted gift. Yes, we know, the parents calmly reply, you told us every day for the whole year. But for many of us, we have received at least some gift that we did not expect. This may have been a gift we didn't expect, and we wish we had not received it. We wonder, how am I supposed to use this iPhone case when I don't even have an iPhone? But equally possible is that gift that wasn't ever on our radars, but the gift giver, knowing us so well, got us a perfect gift. So it's not just what I wanted, but 
just what I want, just what I need. In today's text, we have a gift from God, especially seen in its final fulfillment, and we are told to expect it. But when the fulfillment comes, though the gift came unexpectedly, it came exactly as wanted, or I should say exactly as needed. And for those hearts who've been changed, yes, exactly as wanted. God has gifted his people with a great prophet who will do well to listen to him. Verse 15 again says, The Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among you, from your brothers. It is to him you shall listen. Deuteronomy is Moses' parting words, a long sermon to second-generation Israelites to prepare them well to enter the promised land to which he will lead them but not himself enter because of his own sin. And he wants them to know that prophets are essential for the ongoing ministry of Revelation. Their prophecies are to be weighed, tested, and considered in all of God's light, to be sure. But what we see from the very beginning of this text, with this phrase, the Lord will raise, is the prophetic necessity, is at the same time a divine gift. This necessary word is a gift from God. The Lord provides his people with the much-needed, timely word of special revelation. And many men or women would later raise themselves up as supposed prophets, but they are not gifts from God to speak a word to his people. And what do we see today? Many men and women think that they are prophets, uppercase P prophets, or at least that they have a word for the church. Or at the very least, a word for a church member. And that church member, of course, wonders, well, why didn't the Lord just tell me that word that you gave me? It is a fearful thing to speak on behalf of God. And so you better be sure that the Lord has raised you up. Twice in our text, Moses says, and so emphasizes, that it will be the Lord who does this. It will be the Lord who who will raise up prophets. And Moses will soon help Israel with how to identify if a prophet has been so raised. But the fact of the prophet's appearance is a divine gift. The fact of his presence is a true present from above. And this prophet that Moses mentions isn't the first of the prophets. Indeed, if we are reading our Bibles well, we recall that there have been prophets before Moses' time. If we take into account this first Adam and second Adam way of thinking of the Bible, and we know that the second Adam is a prophet, then we know that the first Adam also had a prophetic role, that Adam was to declare the word of God to Eve and to all their offspring. He was the one who had received God's word, so he was to deliver it to his people. We know that in Genesis 4, based on what Paul says much later on, that Abel, he speaks a good word. He speaks that word by his blood. Abel is prophetic. In Genesis 20, when God speaks to Abimelech, king of Gerar, who took Sarah to be his wife, God calls Abraham a prophet. And if Abimelech would appeal to Abraham, then Abimelech would be spared. 
And so we have Adam and Abel and Abraham as prophets from God. Exodus 7, God says to Moses that he, Moses, will be like God to Pharaoh, and Aaron will be Moses' prophet. Moses will speak God's words to Aaron, and Aaron will relay those to Pharaoh. Another prophet. And you recall in Numbers 11, the Lord provided the Israelite camp with with Eldad and Medad, men who prophesied and whose prophecy was the envy of others. Or it was seen as a threat to Moses' ministry. And there was a call for Moses to put a stop to it. And you remember what Moses said to Joshua, are you, who are you jealous for? For my sake? And he says, would that all the Lord's people would be prophets. Would that all the Lord's people would have the spirit like these men have. And with this prophetic utterance, Moses anticipates Pentecost. And just in the next chapter in Numbers 12, tragically, Miriam and Aaron even oppose Moses, saying, has God spoken only through him? The Lord rebukes them, sets Moses apart from the rest. And God, he says, God speaks to prophets in visions and dreams, but he speaks face-to-face with Moses. There is an intimate relationship between God and Moses that God and the other prophets do not share. Yes, there have been prophets, but none like the servant of God, this Moses. And in Deuteronomy 13, just before our text this morning, Moses warned the people not to follow false prophets but instead to purge them from their midst because they are promoting false gods. And so, yes, in the early history of God's people, there have been prophets on whose word the Old Testament church depended for salvation, depended for threats of judgment, depended for direction on how to live. God gave the word to his people for all of life and godliness. But they would not be the last of the prophets Nor would Moses be the final prophet. The Lord will keep raising up prophets for a time. Indeed, in in Deuteronomy 18, this prophetic passage is about future prophets, a series of prophets and sons of prophets who will carry God's people with his word. In truth, there have been prophets in Moses' day, and there would be many after him. But they wouldn't function as the mediator of the old covenant like Moses did. And this mediation as prophet sets him apart from all the rest. No other prophet was a mediator of the old covenant. But they would be true prophets. No doubt we think of the many prophets from God. We think of Samuel and Elijah, Elisha, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, Isaiah, Daniel, Obadiah, all the way down to Malachi. God blessed his people over the centuries with prophetic law prosecutors, men who who would take the law of God and say, here, O people of Israel, is where you do not measure up. Repent before judgment comes. Return to the Lord. Do away with idolatry and come back to true, pure worship. God would bless his people with men who spoke to kings of foreign nations, to kings of Israel, And to kings of Israel when it was 
divided into the northern and southern kingdoms and to people of whole nations. And so we read their words, the hard words of impending, earth-shaking, star-falling judgment. At the same time, we also read their comforting words of restoration, of reconciliation, of promise of a future joy. And these words can be hard to swallow, but we must be thankful for all of them because they are words of love. All of these words, they come from God who loves to speak to his people. We know that our God does not, doesn't have to, he's not obligated to communicate with us to give us his precious, authoritative, mighty, wise word. And so when he does, we must be always thankful. We must never take for granted God's willingness to speak to you through his word. But these prophets, this series of prophets, they're not the singular prophet to whom Moses calls his people to listen Oh, yes, there'd be a series of prophets, a collection of God's spokesmen. As God says in Amos 3, the Lord does nothing without revealing his secret to his servants, the prophets. And in Deuteronomy 34, although it speaks of the time just after Moses, is itself prophetic of all of God's dealings with his people through the prophets. It says, and there has not arisen a prophet since in Israel like Moses, whom the Lord knew face to face. This face-to-face prophet is the one for whom all Israel shall wait and all Israel shall wait with exalted expectation. But for the moment, let it be reminded that all these prophets are doses of God's gift of his word. Regular installments of his revelation. Frequent blessings from God. Oh, dear saints, let us never presume upon God's prophetic word, but always prize it as the gift that it really is. And let us demonstrate that high estimation by humbly bowing before his word, by making ourselves low through the regular and deep study, prayerful reflection of God's precious word. And so we ask, do the people of God, the Israelites, as we see their story, do they prize the prophetic word as they ought? You know the answer, no, they do not. Oh, some do, a remnant does, but over and again, they do not treasure the riches of God's word. And we see this even from the beginning with Moses And the wilderness generation, as you saw last Lord's Day evening, Korah led a rebellion. This wasn't some small group of dissenters. This was many people, 250 chiefs of the church. And they all came against Moses and Aaron, saying that they had overstepped and that they needed to throw some of those prophetic bones their way. And they asked, who made Moses boss anyway? Well, Israel, you did. That's exactly what Moses is saying here in verse 16. Don't you remember? 
You thought God was too scary. And he is, after all, an all-consuming fire, a force to be reckoned with when your sin is seen in the light of his holiness. But don't you remember, Israel, you, you asked for a mediator. You said to me, go up to the mountain. You talk to him. We can't talk to him because we're going to die. And you're right. You were going to die if you didn't have a mediator. Obviously, in the ultimate sense, it was the Lord who, who raised up Moses. So what we see just here in the early part of Moses and, and the Israelites, as they were being taught daily to depend on God's provision in the wilderness, bread from heaven above, manna. They were also denying this, this prophetic provision for them, the word of God. They were to depend on his word, just as they were to depend on the bread. Doesn't get much better after that. And we can't really say that it was really all that good as far as the behavior is concerned. We see in Jeremiah and the wilderness Judah, we fast forward hundreds of years to Jeremiah's days. And here I'm thinking of Jeremiah 44. For years, Jeremiah had prophesied warnings and of a soon wilderness exile in Babylon. If, if Judah did not repent, they would be exiled. False prophets would come up against Jeremiah, and the king would try to have Jeremiah killed. Jeremiah's own scrolls of scripture would be burned. After a page was read, it was burned. Just throw it away. Nobody wants bad news, Jeremiah. Don't speak hard words to us, Jeremiah. Don't speak words of judgment, of exile. Speak only nice words, good words. Verses 16 to 17 of that chapter summarize well their heart. This is what they say to Jeremiah. As for the word that you have spoken to us in the name of the Lord, we will not listen to you. But we will do everything that we have vowed. Now notice, it's not that we have vowed to the Lord. As the verse continues, and we will make offerings to the queen of heaven. Well, when did our triune God have a queen of heaven? And they say, they go on and say, since we have stopped making these offerings to this queen of heaven, because of you, Jeremiah, we have not prospered. And so remarkably, they have viewed their affliction not as the fatherly discipline that it was for their waywardness, but because they were prevented from continuing in their idolatry. This is the judgment of death that Moses warned the people about in our text. Not only for the false prophets, but for the whole assembly who followed the false messengers and who gave in to those false means of divining the will of God, divination of magic, of necromancy. All those were to be avoided They were abominated because they were to to depend on the precious word from the Lord. And the Israelites, and we all then stand guilty before God, who has richly provided his prophetic word. Dear ones, we show our high estimation of God's prophetic word by hearing it, by wanting it by looking for every opportunity to hear God's word, to read God's word, to study God's word. That is how we demonstrate that we highly treasure this 
this richness, this blessing, this gift, this grace. But the necessary prophetic word was the very thing that Israel refused. Again, in Amos 7, it says, You say, do not prophesy against Israel, and do not preach against the house of Isaac. Don't give us the word of God. Dear ones, we refuse God's word only to our ruin. But we receive it to our restoration. Let us always, dear saints, call upon God to give us this prophetic food always. Let us never be guilty of saying, do not preach to me, O minister. But let us have this word from God always. This word is life-giving. This word is refreshing. If it is preached truly, and it is truly refreshing to the soul. It is truly life-giving. It is truly enlightening the eyes. It is truly the very thing that our souls are hopeless without. Remember those four centuries of silence between Malachi and Matthew. Let those centuries be a warning to all of us. Something that Amos had prophesied about in Amos 8, 11, and 12. Behold, the days are coming when I send a, a famine on the land. Not a famine of bread, but of hearing the words of the Lord. They shall run to and fro to seek the word of the Lord, but they shall not find it. What an ominous picture. The national Israel. that The people who have been set apart by God for him. And they're saying, now we want to hear what the, what the word of the Lord is. Now we want to hear what the Lord has said. But for centuries, they would say, no, we don't want to hear the word. No, don't give us that. And so the Lord gave them what they wanted. Fine. How about four centuries of not hearing the word? Oh, you will eventually run to and fro looking for it but you will not find it. It's a reminder never to presume that we deserve his special revelation. Back in Arizona, when we lived in an apartment complex, it seemed like regularly our water was turned off. The city was always doing something with the pipes in the area, and that meant we didn't have water. Sometimes they would notify us from this hour to this hour, you're not going to have any water, and so plan accordingly. Other times, they would just spring it on us. And, you know, we need water. We needed water to wash our hands, to give our babies a bath, to do laundry, to cook food, and many other things. And whenever that water was restored to our apartment, we would be thankful that it had been so restored and became more appreciative. We don't want to take for granted this necessary water. We shouldn't take for granted that we have food on the table. We shouldn't take for granted that we have what we have because all of this is a gift from God. How much more then is this a gift from God? your God, your Redeemer. Let us always show our dependence on this. 
and never our presumption that it should be ours. Can you imagine what it would be like if somehow this could be done? I'm not sure how it could be, but somehow you didn't have any access to the Word of God. Somebody took this pulpit Bible. Somebody took all the Bibles from your home, deleted all the apps, the Bible apps on your phone, went to the library, took that off, and went ahead and went online and removed all Scripture. And you had nothing, and not just for your generation, but for the next one and the next one and the next one, for 400 years. Can you imagine the state that you would be in and that your children would be in, that your grandchildren would be in, and your great-grandchildren, and on and on. That is what happened to ancient Israel because they would not heed his word. They didn't listen to the prophets. And as we look at the grace of the great prophet, we are really just reiterating what was said earlier, that prophets are a gift as gifts and graces funnel from the fount of God's goodness. Moses assured these people of the grace of the final prophet, the great prophet, who would be like him. This prophet, Moses, Moses paves the way, will come from Israel. Indeed, he will be true Israel. Moses is saying, essentially, he will be on your side. He is for you. He will be a man like you. And he wants to guide you. And what do we see in, in John 4? After Jesus told the woman at the well about her, she says, Sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. One popular TV show that is sweeping the nations misconstrues this very episode. The woman at the well says to Jesus, Sir, I perceive you are a prophet, and you are to preach at me. And he says, no. Like, that's not why I came. And yet, that's exactly why he came. And the Gospel of Mark tells us. Jesus says, I've come to preach there also. That is what he has given his disciples to do. That is what the Great Commission is about, is to teach, to preach all that God has said. Like Moses, this final prophet will provide for them both physical and spiritual bread. And so we see in the life of Jesus, the feeding of the 5,000. And at the end, uh, at that, or in the beginning of that text, it says, this is indeed the prophet who is to come into the world. They saw his miracles of, of feeding 5,000. And said, this has to be the prophet that Moses spoke of. And they were right. Though they didn't have the full picture, they wanted to make him king right then and there. But like Moses, this great prophet will be mediator of another covenant. This time, the better covenant, one that will bring eternal life because of his eternal word. And so the end of John 6, with everyone leaving Jesus, all those that Jesus fed, because Jesus said some hard words, they got their feathers all ruffled said, we don't, want, we don't want this prophet. Jesus turns to his disciples and says, well, what about you? Do you want to go also? 
And Peter rightly says, Oh Lord, to whom shall we go? For you have the words of eternal life. Not only does the Son provide physical bread, but also spiritual bread, eternal life. And not only will this prophet reinforce the law of Moses, he will fulfill it. He will keep every demand of the law, which is what Jesus said he had come to do in Matthew 5. I didn't come to abolish the law, but to fulfill it. Every jot and tittle, every last bit Every little clause of Leviticus gets fulfilled. Because without that, complete fulfillment, without that utter obedience to the law, you still stand in your sins. The Lord will put his word in this prophet's mouth, and this prophet shall speak all that the Lord commands. This is what Jesus says in John 12, For I have, I have not spoken of my own authority, but the Father who sent me has himself given me a commandment, what to say and what to speak. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. This Word came down from heaven. It came from above, and he exegeted the Father. He explained the Father's generous and gracious heart for you. We don't have to wonder who this great prophet is. The book of Acts makes this very clear. In Acts 3 and 7, as Peter and Stephen would, would preach to both hardened and softened Jews, they would say, You have been reading Moses, haven't you? Well, Jesus Christ is that prophet. And so repent. Turn away from your idolatry. Turn away from your worldliness, your love of your flesh, and turn to the one who became flesh for us. And what does Paul say? Long ago, at many times, and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, He has spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom also he created the world. He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature, and he upholds the universe by the word of his power. After making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. There was, through all those prophets from beforehand, There was this indication, this pointing to one more prophet. One final, good, great prophet. Who is prophet, but much more than a prophet. He is a king. He is the savior. He is the Lord of all. And as king, he demands our all. One man says, men calmly assume that God will continue to favor them and indulge them. Christ is the king, not man's errand boy. We submit to him, not he to us. He submitted the Father to give us life. And we, the body, submit to him, the head. This prophet, dear ones, is a force to be reckoned with as His enemies have learned and will one day learn if they do not bow the knee. At that great day of judgment, 
they will have all the condemnation in the world upon them because it had not been lifted by turning to him. Because in him there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. We're not dealing with just a little baby boy, but with the Son of God in whom the fullness of deity dwells bodily and whose blood-saturated word speaks better than the words of a mere man. You cannot just take or leave Christ at his first advent and look how precious he, he is lying in a manger in Mary's arms. You cannot just keep him there. But even if you kept him there, he's still the king. Oh, the, the mystery of the incarnation. The wonders, the glories of the incarnation. But he has a second advent at which he will judge the living and the dead. And if you want proof, he has given you his proof in his resurrection. And so you need not fear the false prophets, the false teachers, for their words of blessing or judgment fail. But you do need to fear. You do need to reverence the great prophet, for his word is forever sure, always true. And so thankfully, he is not the only prophet who, he's not only the prophet who warns the way of eternal destruction, he is the remedy himself. He is the way to the Father. He is the way to heaven. He is the way to true eternal life. That is what the incarnation is all about. That is why it's so important. Not only did the Son speak words of life in these last days, but he gave up his own life to make purification of sins, so that on the last day we will all be counted righteous, vindicated before our enemies, those who do not bow the knee to Christ. That is grace, surely, if I've ever heard such a thing, if I've ever seen such generosity of heart. It is that. It is that that John summarizes in his gospel. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory, glory as the only begotten from the Father, full of grace and truth. This Christmas season, we saw through just five texts who the Son is. He is the seed of the woman who would crush the serpent's head. He is the deliverer. He is the law-keeping Messiah. He is the star, the king over all. He is the great prophet. Just five texts. There's plenty more where that came from. You'll just have to read the great prophet's words. Let's pray. Our great God, come before you again humbly. Lord, we see just through this text how we have not submitted to your word. We do not, we're not quick to hear what your word has to say. We have sinned grievously against you. We have taken for granted this gift of your word. We have taken for granted the gift of your Son. Do forgive us, we pray. But renew our affections. Renew our obedience. Cause us to grow more and more in grace, in truth, as we are joined to Jesus. In Christ's name I pray. Amen.